Welcome to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspectives series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema culture and society. So let's begin. This is Future Spectives. Hello, Marcus Duffner, head of Locarno Pro. Welcome to the Future Spectives podcast. My name's Gabby, and I think you're going to give us some great insight in our conversation today and Future Spectives. Yeah, let's try so you've been working on the Locarno Pro project since 2014. So I want to start with the most obvious question to any of our listeners that haven't come across it before. What is Locarno Pro? Yeah, uh, well, in uh, 2014, I was just in charge of uh, one project. Uh, at that time, it wasn't uh, Locarno Pro yet. It was the, a division between industry days mm -hmm. and the open doors which is uh, an important project here in locarno both uh, dialogue with the industry professionals that are here mm -hmm. in locarno so we decided at one point to to create this uh, big umbrella it's an industry platform for all professionals mm. attending locarno so basically this welcomes everyone that uh, is interested in acquiring contents and film that are uh, selected uh, in the official lineup at the festival or producers that are looking for financing. In meanwhile, uh, since 2014, it has developed uh, very much with mm -hmm. uh, different activities that uh, are helping young film professionals and producers. I'd say from 2014 till today, we have gone a long way yeah, towards where we are now. You've got eight different categories or projects that, that you, you oversee and I want to talk further about those in a bit but let's learn a bit about you first. You're German but born and raised in Italy. You're very well educated, qualifications in literature, art and foreign cultures plus film, television and multimedia production. So all this education weaves in beautifully, doesn't it, to <laughs> yes. what you're doing here in Locarno, yeah, you know, for I the Locarno Film Festival. Yeah, that's pretty much me. I can add something funny. I also have a qualification in um, dental mechanic, which I studied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did not expect that one. Yes, uh, I, I have a degree that allows me to open a studio for dental mechanic. It's not dentist but uh, you know the, the step just before so the dentist sends to the studio all works that have to be done on prothesis and stuff like that and that's what i studied for five years before getting into the university and say oh no let's drop that let's go to literature <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> and then Let's pivot again. Your career started in advertising sales for the trade press, including Le Film Francais, uh, Cannes Market News, the official daily of the Marseille du Film, and in film markets such as the Business Street, which is now MIA Market. This, I suppose, was how you got the f your foot into the door, but I don't think it was an intentional career path. Not at all. Uh, I recall having uh, an exam with a, a professor of mine in Bologna when I was studying uh, cinema 
and uh, the course was uh, organization of cultural events where we had to do um, a simulation of how to organize a festival and I was in a group of 10 and the idea was to have an unlimited budget in a big metropolis and to do mm -hmm. a festival. All my colleagues wanted to do a niche festival just for a few people which I thought it was a waste of time. So in my personal relation or report, I, I wrote that and the professor said, yeah, once you'll be uh, like uh, <clears throat> a disaster artist or something like that, or you can drop doing uh, writing scripts or stuff like that, which I did. I mean, I never started actually. So you can do festival organization. Then he invited me to what was called Venice Days. Now it's Giornate degli Autori in Venice, the sidebar section mm. and I got uh, onto this crazy carousel of the film industry and festivals. Yeah, right. And um, before going all in with Locarno Film Festival, as you mentioned, you collaborated with all other film festivals. So what what did you do across? You were it was the Monte Carlo Film Festival, de la Comédie, the Voices Festival in Vologda, yeah, Russia. Russia yeah. Wow. So, uh, how, how to put it, I, I just got in, met, uh, met some people who were uh, looking for young professional to, you know, exploit. <laughs> and I, right. I was ready to be exploited and make my, you know, my path and, and learn mainly. I, I never uh, closed the door before trying to understand what it is about this film industry really closed and, uh, and not easy to access. Sometimes you have to do some compromises. So I started there in Giornata degli Autori. I met the person that said, why don't you come to Rome? Uh, actually, I started there before finishing university. So I traveled just to some festivals at the beginning. I started to understand that there is all uh, different behind the scenes with buyers and sales agents. I had no idea yeah. what that was, and, but yeah. it was exciting. So I went to Rome at Business Street at the second year, where I met uh, some of the people I still work with now. And, and there I really, uh, let's say, learned about how I, I was in charge of inviting buyers. So that means you have to do a, a huge research of who buys what in every country in the world. Mm. It's it's a long process, but it gives you really a good understanding of how independent mm, cinema works and film industry and who buys what for countries. So there are different outlets and every company has a different editorial line. In that sense, it was huge knowledge of, uh, of the whole world. Then um, more or less the same person asked me to join uh, as an assistant sales for Le Fin Francais, which later on I became to, to be the director of International. That is on the other side, I learned, uh, I, I got to know all the sales agents so that the international distributors and film festival and institution, because those were my clients there. So on, on the one side, I was doing buyers, which is uh, an important knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so so I got to have a 360 degree understanding and mm, knowledge ne network, let's say. I, I, I know many people in, in person because of traveling to festival and right. this industry is, is like a small family, so to say. You see the same faces in every festival I'm you travel. Yeah, I'm starting to learn that Locarno is my first film festival and, um, you know, when you think about it back home and you watch your movies and stuff, well, you don't think about the huge machine of a film festival and, and all the business side 
that does take part and the networking and the showcasing and yeah it's it's fascinating stuff can we talk really quick about spam flicks because <laughs> yeah. you're a founding member of this streaming platform it focuses on avant-garde and cult films that are difficult to frame into one precise genre yes um <laughs> Yeah, I can resume that with the word nonsense or spam says it as well because it's an homage to what I studied uh, in university with my thesis on the philosophy of Monty Python. Oh, wow. And, and <laughs> yeah, and the, this is an homage to the spam sketch but to the, all the philosophy behind Monty Python basically with their sketches and their absurd comedy and slapstick they can um, reverse what we know traditionally. So to put it philosophically, like Sartre mm -hmm. said, the carnivalesque is what allows you to see things that you know in your day by day, but in a different angle. So this is the Phil Rouge in all the films in Spamflix. I founded it uh, in 2018 after studying for, I don't know, three, four years, how the market goes and laws and so on. Yeah. And the technical part was a huge choice, like assembling a, a vehicle. You have, uh, I don't know, transmission, you have the motor, and there as well, you have the player, you have the invoicing system, you mm. have the security. And yeah, putting it up as an independent, you know, uh, entrepreneur, it's rather complicated, but you have uh, a lot of ways of doing it today, I would say, digital wow. solutions. So yeah. So this, and this it's, it's subscription-based? Not yet. Not we're, yet. We're going to launch the subscription in, at the end of the year. Okay, so can anybody? Yes, the whole world, ex excluding China. Ah, so we can go to Spamflix and check out some of these cult avant-garde movies? Absolutely. Some of them uh, have been shown in Locarno. Every country has a different lineup because of rights, but uh, we have around 100 titles at least in each country, and we launch one per week. That's awesome. Yeah, the idea is basically I was frustrated traveling in festival, watching all these great films that I want to share. and. It came to me there is a niche market here that no what no one has filled the gap. Meanwhile, there are other platforms doing similar stuff, but mm. back then no. Mm. So let's bring it back to Locarno. As we mentioned before, you've been working with the festival since 2014. How did the Locarno Film Festival find you or did you find them? Well, this is a, a one-person connection, as most of the things in film festival. You go around, you go to networking events, cocktails, party, or have meetings, and then you you become friends eventually or acquaintance to people. And this person was Nadia Dresti, who was the previous um, director of uh, Locarno Pro. And she also served as uh, artistic director for a brief time before Jonah, and she was also wow. <clears throat> in charge of the international. Um, so besides being a very important person professionally, well, from whom I've really learned a lot in the way to, to deal, in the way to be really professional, which I always thought she, she was a really great example. Mm. She asked me, why don't you come and coordinate this section called, it was called Car Carte Blanche at the beginning, in my first um, year was on Brazil, where I made a lot of Brazilian friends that year, it was a blast. <laughs> we had about a delegation of 60 Brazilian persons coming, among whom also my wife now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh, 
he found love. Yes. Ah, so what was the carte blanche? Carte blanche. This is a what, what was that? What did that it's entail? Not, now it's uh, it's called first look. We changed the name because it's uh, we think it's more adequate. But basically, ah. it's a working progress section which is focusing on a different country every year. I was going to ask you about this actually because this year it's Germany, right? Correct. So how do you showcase something that isn't finished? Oh, we showcase them to professionals, so sales agents mainly, and film festivals who are used to watch them while they're not finished because they have to grab them before others. So there is a slight competition in trying to see those films. That's why we call it first look, because uh, it's also a terminology that is used in the film industry for companies that have deals with other companies to have a first look so before others oh. and, and that's what happens if you're in Locarno that year you have a first look on those films rather than who is not attending. I would love to ask you next about Match Me, Locarno's answer to Tinder. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. uh, yeah, it's a provocative uh, name for yeah. section, but it's what we do. We match people with other people. and uh, It's a networking platform. Yeah, it, it happened because uh, in 2015, uh, the Brazilians came on to us, but not only, also Colombian, Mexican and Chilean, from whom we had the previous Carte Blanche first look. They asked us, what can we do next? We want to continue coming to Locarno because it's a so informal, friendly environment for doing business, which is yeah. so different from other, you know, traditional markets. So we came up, uh, me and Nadia, with this uh, idea for expanding, I mean, helping, continuing working with uh, producers, but uh, the format is different. There are three producers from those countries that will uh, accept coming and with whom we have partnership with, and they will bring three emerging producers through a public call, and we do the final selection. But these are three emerging producers, meaning they have produced a short film, documentary, one film, have no, not more than, uh, uh, let's say, five years of experience, and uh, do not have a big international network. So they come here for three days with lunches and meetings and workshops, and they right. get to know a lot of people. Right, and this is, you say, three producers, but from various countries, because was it 12 countries this year? This year, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 12 countries, 32 producers. So we started that year in 2015 with uh, four countries, 12 producers. So it's, it's uh, really uh, increased in uh, capacity. Mm. It's unbelievable the feedbacks and the success story we have uh, retrieved towards the years and it's uh, wonderful because most of them they probably for them it's the first market they do or the first film festival abroad so mm. it's it's really important to to get introduced to the international film industry like this and really interesting to see producers from all over the world you know, exchanging ideas and sharing the projects they work on. And yeah, it must be for you to sit back and sort of see all that magic happen. I think that must be quite special. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we uh, and then since we started, we tried to really uh, agglomerate all of the activities also to make it more synergetical for the international pro professionals and not mm. so fragmented that they know, okay, there is this, this and this. No, they know that there is one center which is the Locarno Pro Center we created at the Hotel Belvedere, 
where we hosted about 200, uh, I mean, 200 seats lunches every day for three days. So there was quite a movement and it's it's very nice to look at that. At yeah. the other hand, we, I gotta say, the format is really not, uh, you don't have to sit at lunch and pitch your project to the person in front of you that might be a head of a really important company or, or someone you will do business or might do business in future, but just mm -hmm. talk about life and get to know the person it's mm. it's much more valuable this way uh, to get to know the professional rather than pitch yourself out for 10 minutes and then yeah. they will forget about you forever which is what happens in standard markets right. so for us it's like uh, spending quality time and really get to know the persons mm. The Industry Academy sounds really cool for those that are hungry to get their foot in the door and learn from industry veterans. Can you share a little bit about this, please? Yeah, this is uh, an incredible project. We have developed it in onto 10 different countries uh, toward their years. It's the ninth year of the Industry Academy. It started in Locarno. It lasts one week. There are 10 young professionals that have an experience of one or maximum two years in the industry. and. They're already working for either sales agents, distributors, festivals or promotional institute or VOD. So the final part of the film industry, no production, no financing, but just from completion to international distribution of, uh, of films. As I said at the beginning, uh, it's a very closed industry. So you, I, I would have loved to have that at the beginning of my career. Yeah. Uh, to to have such a fast you know intro there are veterans coming uh, i don't know if there is uh, jonah nazzaro or uh, i don't know carlo chatrian that are um, artistic directors of these festivals and they just come from one hour and they share their experience their career path how did they get there mm. which is really uh, something that yeah, for young professionals it is enlightening let's say they they might also discover hey maybe i'm doing sales now but i'd, I'd rather be in distribution or i love to do marketing yeah. so they, they also understand the industry a little in a more broader way yeah I have to ask you about Heritage Online because this was your brainchild. You mm. launched it in an interesting year, 2020. <laughs> so this is devoted to digital distribution of classic and amateur movies. Can we elaborate on this? Yes. Um, 2020, as you said, interesting times. Uh, it was mm -hmm. tough also for us as a festival and the whole industry was uh, reduced to some online digital events, among which uh, Heritage Online, which we created in a rush, like, uh, okay, let's do it. It was there already since uh, some time, at least in my head. And then when they said, okay, you cannot do your traditional activities like match me and first look, why don't you propose something else? Then the idea for Heritage Online came because uh, I started uh, dialoguing a lot with the international professional and friends during the pandemic to say hey what's happening what's their future yeah. i i must say back there i i was a freelance as many freelance in this industry it was really hard time because you don't have uh, any security so we were all trying to somehow support each other uh, and by talking with other professional sales agents say, yeah, the industry is um, at a very strange point. We don't know what is going to happen with 
theatrical distribution because all the cinema were closing and uh, we have a bunch of uh, classic films we don't know how to move around mm. and streaming platform were starting to buy a lot of content so at that point me as a streaming platform buyer for Spamflix I was very much interested also to look for heritage films which then I found out it's really the most difficult kind of content to license somehow because oh, really? of, yeah you need to understand where the rights are you need to get uh, there sometimes the rights are not really clear where they are so it's it's like a difficult business more difficult than recent mm. but streaming platform most of them they were buying recent contents or serial format short format or documentary or original so there there's still no space for heritage uh, independent films and dvd is is probably a dying um, window mm. yeah. especially commercially it's it's probably less forever as a collectible yes but if you need to sell a license for home video, it's probably VOD. It's gonna substitute what it is, especially since Disney Plus decided to stop the DVD production, which is, I think, close to 50% of the world's DVD. So at that point, in the with the risk of creating a gap for uh, heritage films to be visible, because no DVDs or uh, no right. VOD distribution. Even now you can do a small exercise and try to find Fellini's content or films and Truffaut and Hitchcock, I mean, all those maestros and probably you won't find all of them or sometimes even <laughs> very yeah. few of them online, legally, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So that's why uh, this is a database that we created to connect film professionals that are mm. active in heritage films mm. distribution, this connecting right holders with uh, programmers and distributors. Yeah, this is where streamers and other buyers are able to watch available titles in a dedicated online screening room. Exactly. Which is, also sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's a B2B platform, so not for consumers. And right. So it's, uh, it's useful to have uh, already a screening room there. So let's expand now on how, in your opinion, the Locarno Film Festival is a driving force within the cinema industry. We've heard a few excellent examples on the Locarno Pro side, so maybe it's zooming out unless there's other projects within Locarno Pro that you you want to talk about. Yes, there, there is some other um, projects that are really important to us, like Step In, which is, sets the tone for our edition this year. We, we try to focus on what is uh, happening with streaming platform, how do they finance films, are they financing too many films, are we reaching a tipping point, so mm. these are all discussions that are really important uh, topics. And, and what do you think about that? Yeah, we're reaching a tipping <laughs> point. Yes. Yes. Uh, maybe some streamers will uh, pull the handbrake soon. Uh, let's see, they will soon understand which markets are good for original production and which original productions travel abroad, so this is a determinant that I will, I think will change a little way, a bit the way they will invest. Mm -hmm. The fact that we had a presence of from Amazon, Netflix and many streamers this year, including Paramount Pictures and Paramount Plus, is also... Is that so? Is, yeah, it's uh, is also a factor that makes us think that L Locarno has something to offer them in terms of content, but also on the industry side, because Netflix, uh, Germany probably 
needs to now uh, have a foot in Swiss productions after the new cinema law passed in May. So all this makes uh, Locarno the center point for discovering talents on the festival side as well, but mm -hmm. also on the industry side because there are so many projects and producers with with projects. Mm -hmm. I'd say I'd say Locarno is really a festival for discovering films and talents, and it it always had a reputation for discovering maestros, like Jarmusch, Spike Lee, and so on. Mm. What, what was the um the law that passed recently you mentioned in may there was a, a referendum in which the population voted for uh, to pass a new cinema law so i don't know the details of how but okay. uh, oh, a percentage of tax uh, uh, and of income for those streamers on local territory need to be reinvested in swiss cinema ah. this is for quite healthy for the swiss film industry mm. We know cinema has had to evolve and adapt over the years, but what about the transformation of audiences? Because that's changed too. What are your thoughts here? Yes, very good question. We tackle that in Stepping uh, also, as I mentioned before, mm. because maybe this is this could be too specific, but in January we, we saw a major shift in also structural changes, which are... Um, and indirectly uh, driven by the audience changes, as you said. Uh, a streaming platform like Mubi bought the Match Factory, which is a producer sales agent outlet, which is, in my opinion, a perfect match because those uh, traditional players producing and selling film with the traditional distribution window, so festival, mm -hmm. theatrical, then TV, and VOD, and so on, they understood that platforms like Mubi, they made a different, uh, a significant, uh, they played a significant role in creating a different audience or getting together a, a new community of cinephile audience. It's, it doesn't mean that these cinephiles go to the cinema. Mm. Mubi is doing that too because they're releasing film in cinemas now, but they definitely managed not only movie also netflix and the bigger and there are some locals like in switzerland there is an important platform called blue tv all those together i think have uh, in the last years uh, created a new way of consuming art as content uh, which brought together a new totally new cinephile audience once the industry as well in understands that then they can readapt and uh, overrule all the crises of theatrical exhibition, distribution, try to understand who this new audience is, is all also in production. I mean, you, you must know what films you distribute for which audience, what film you produce mm -hmm. for whom. And bearing in mind that there is this new audience out there that are cinephiles, that are not always attached to theatrical um, experience is important. It doesn't mean that they cannot uh, also develop the theatrical experience afterwards because it might be a circle. Um, I think it's really important. This uh, this uh, has uh, driven structural changes. Like, mm. As I said, sales agents that usually picked up a film to sell it are now also financing co-producing films, so have more responsibility into the film's life. Do you ever worry that with so much choice now, you can consume in your own home, that 
encouraging people to get into the movie theatres and watch it on a big screen. Do you think that sometimes, you know, we can just stay at home and be lazy and that that's going to affect how many people miss out on the, the, the romance and the joy of being in a in a room with other people? Like Daisy Edgar-Jones said, gasping at the same time, you know, reacting at the same time to what's happening. Yeah, those are two different experiences. So the audience knows it, I guess. And it's just easier sometimes. There is so much content as well. You really choose what you want to see in a theater. That means you have to go there and uh, transportation. And so it's it's true. It's so easy to do it at home, but those are different experiences. But as well... I think uh, it it depends on the film, it depends on how it's conceived by the exhibitors, how it's put together, if there is an event. I don't know, to make two very different different but similar examples in success, Top Gun and Everything Everywhere all at once. Those were films that were incredibly successful at box office. Mm -hmm. I, I recall watching the second one on a Tuesday night in Lisbon and there was a full room in one of these UCI multiplexes, which was, I've never seen this in the past five years and such, uh, it was so good to see it. So Mm. this film could talk to an audience, which is the audience I was talking before, and drive them to the cinema. So they go to the cinema if there is the right proposal, I guess. Very good point. And what about the future of film? Having all this insider scoop, doing what you do, heading up Locarno Pro, is it bright? Yes, I I think there is uh, a lot uh, of uh, changes going on, also in the way the content is conceived, uh, different formats and so on, and and series are in our daily lives, everybody everybody consumes them, but there are cinematic series, so the what the operation of the big streamer is to also to attract cinephile audience to their platform is flirt and engage with uh, authors mm. like Scorsese, uh, Quaron and so on. And this way they, they develop also series that are really art house or, you know, with a, with a big value in art house uh, cinema. So I think this uh, separation is uh, no longer totally valid, like art house series or mainstream, non-mainstream. It, it really depends, and with social media and fast communication, it can rapidly take some very strange turns, and something that happens with uh, groundbreaking breaking film on success like Parasite, who, I, mean, I don't know if... Uh, they expected it, but uh, we had a masterclass uh, panel from Neon Distribution presidents of theatrical distribution in the U.S., Elisa Fedorov in Locarno Pro this year, and she was telling us that Parasite was, even for them, really uh, exceptional, because when it got nominated to the Oscars, they started uh, trying out things, so they, they probably made it possible they made the path for the film to the success so it's it's also the know-how of film professionals uh, like those that can attract people and attract um, this future audience so if if those professional know how to communicate or engage with the right audiences with different strategies then the the future will be bright 
Fantastic. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Marcus Duffner. We've got one thing left to do. Let's roll your closing credits. What movie have you watched most in your life and why? Monty Python's Meaning of Life. It talks to me, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you could have the Piazza Grande to yourself with your friends, what movie would you most like to watch on the big screen? Oh, my God. (laughs) I would probably watch again Wrong Cops by Quentin Dupier. I saw it under the rain. It was wonderful, powerful. (laughs) You're directing a movie about your life. What would the opening and closing scenes look like? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, probably I would open, like, uh, dolphins flying into the universe. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you remember that um, film and book uh, called uh, Galactic Guides, uh, for Hitchhiker's Galactic Guide. That yes. is a very powerful opening, I guess. And closing? the closing? Oh, I would leave it uh, open. just keep it going nice if you could create a new category of award at the Locarno Film Festival what would it be and who would you give it to oh wow I don't know the the green award was already created this year otherwise it would have been a good pick I Mm -hmm. guess I don't know yeah I would have to think of it okay what are your hopes for the future of film festivals I hope that uh, film festival play an important role in bringing people together. Not only you know, film industry is important and is backbone of of the festivals, but as a, as an audience, as myself, I I really think that it brings people together. It drives to you know share um, cultures and so on. And this is important. We can't lose this. What can art and cinema do to improve people's lives? sensibilize on important topics and you know open mind i think mm. what's the biggest challenge today for cinema and culture i think it's uh, getting to a wide audience as wide as possible and delivering its message sometimes it's just uh, there are too, too many films out there you don't see them and they they die in a sea of Mm, yeah Yeah, exactly is today's art shaping society as it should yeah i guess so i guess so with all the digital transformation Mm. and final question as the locarno film festival is all about freedom do you feel free i do hey (laughs) (laughs) thank you marcus thank you thank you for having me Thank you for uh, doing all the, the background check. So, <laughs> it was really accurate. I, I do my research. Oh, really accurate. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Spectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.